Hello and welcome to Oxblogger TV or Oxblogger podcast if you prefer. Uh, we're back again to delve into the archives of Oxford United's past. Uh, as always, uh, I'm with Dan and Rich here to pick through the embers of the past and resurrect some memories we prefer to have maybe forgotten. Um, Rich, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, a bit frustrated to have been ill and missed the uh, both the Accrington game and Sheffield Wednesday game. But um, yeah, but pleased with the results as far as football is concerned. But yes, not ill with that, but um, frustrating all the same. It was a it was very wet at Accrington. It, it wasn't it wasn't worth being there. <laughs> yeah. I um I'm glad I wasn't there to curse it anyway. That's that's, that's the main thing. Now, how are you, Dan? Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, back on uh, home soil. I've been away in India with work, uh, which meant that the Accrington game was something like uh, one o'clock in the morning for me. Uh, but I did stay up listening to to Jerome and, and the crew. Um, it sounded like a great performance. I was really, really annoyed at missing the uh, Sheffield Wednesday game, which is one that I'd, I'd kind of signposted at the start of the season as the game I must go to. Uh, Never been to Hillsborough. Knew we were going to win as well. Um, it sounds like a brilliant performance. Did Did you go to uh, Hillsborough, either of you? No, I was. Uh, I was too scared to um, head off without the fuel. So uh, yeah, so I missed out as well. James Henry's goal was miraculous. I thought oh, it, the, yes. the, the the finish. The, the finish was was spectacular, but the first touch, which is difficult to see, was unbelievable. I don't quite know why he's playing at this level. <laughs> it must be a good commute or something to the Oxford training ground. He's, he's local, isn't he, as well? Isn't he from Reading originally or something? Yeah, he certainly played for Reading, didn't he? We're not very good at talking about football matters. That <laughs> <laughs> was the high press in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the overload? I don't know what an overload is. <laughs> Plymouth, though. Top of the league, I believe. I, I didn't realise that. I've, I've kind of not been paying that much attention to the table, really. I, I knew they were doing okay. I didn't realise they were top of the league at the moment. I think it's only yeah. by virtue of the international break, isn't it? And they played last Saturday. I mean, not, I mean, obviously they're playing fairly well as well. You, you can't get top of the league just by playing on Saturday. But uh... <laughs> you know that by talking about Plymouth, you've made put all the pressure on me to get this edit done in time for for saturday morning <laughs> thanks guys i really appreciate that <laughs> plan. all right so what are we going to look at this week Obi? okay so uh back in i'm going to go back a few years so back in 1992 the irish punk popsters sultans of pink released a tribute to Brian Clough called Give Him a Ball and a Yard of Grass and it had the lyric Give him a ball and a yard of grass I'll give you a move move for the perfect pass Now, had that been written ten years later in Oxford you could have sung Give him a ball and expanse of sky Give it to Matt Bound and he'll kick it high because we're going back to 2002 we just moved to the Kassam Stadium Uh, we were in the grips of a footballing revolution under the guidance of Ian Atkins. Um, it steadied the ship after a tumultuous 
uh, reign of Mark Wright. Um, and he navigated us to the second round of the FA Cup, where we drew Swindon Town, a game which was live on BBC. And in fact, the last uh, Oxford Swindon game that has been broadcast live on TV, which still, I don't understand that because I think this is the this is probably the biggest derby not to feature regularly on uh, live TV. Uh, I used to work for BBC Sport at the time that this match was broadcast. I didn't work for the football for the football department, but I did work for BBC Sport. And when the draw was made after the previous round, and we we drew Swindon, I dropped an email to the head of BBC Football, and I said do you know what a big match this is? And I went through the, the history and the, the reason for the rivalry and what an amazing atmosphere it was going to be. And we were doing all right at the time as well. I said, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're flying up the leagues. There's a potential upset here as well because Swindon weren't having a particularly great season. I said, everything is there. I said, for a brilliant televised match, please, 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 will you televise it? Now, I never got a reply to that email, so I have no idea whether my pleading words worked or not. But I do know that this match was chosen to be on live TV. I've also got a story that I will follow up on after the match. <laughs> Just remind me, though. Intriguing. Yeah, we were doing OK around that sort of time. I... I have either of you actually looked up where we were in the table? Were we top at or near the top of League Two? The following season, we certainly were at Christmas, yeah. We were getting there. Um, I mean, Atkins took over the season before, didn't he, towards the end, and we finished just above the relegation spots. Mm. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think, yeah, the start to this season was was really pretty good. Shall we hand over to Ray Stubbs and he can set up the match for us? It's a packed house and the rivalry between 3rd Division Oxford and 2nd Division Swindon is very intense. You can sense that down here in the dressing room area. No surprise really, the price of the winners are placed in the third round and the draw follows the game. Let's just see if we can quickly grab a word with the two managers. Swindon's Andy King. Afternoon, all the best. Hello, Ray. Oh, I'm glad I've seen you. I was feeling quite old, so I've just seen you, lad. Uh, what's your game plan this afternoon? To win. Yeah. The only game plan I've got. Uh, what's your game plan for today? Just go for it. Um, you play to win. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a local derby. Uh, the third round's at stake, but I think most importantly is that you win the local derby and you beat Swindon. And uh, whatever you take off, that's a bonus. Ian Atkins uh, talking about playing to win, which I, I must admit I chuckled at because no manager has ever been more less prone to go for a victory than Ian Atkins, as I recall. I just remember his, his team's being dour, negative, five, five across the back, bloody Hunt in midfield, who's effectively another centre-back. I just remember his team's being really miserable and dour, I've got to say. He was an absolute cliché machine um, in interviews, that's for sure. Though I think, yeah, playing to win was just part of his uh, toolbox for for the media, I think. He sort of rolled in a... He had a model, didn't he? Because I mean, if you look at that side, most of them played for him previously at Northampton. Uh, Woodman, uh, who else? Hunt, uh, Savage, uh, Roy, Roy Hunter's on the bench. He, he played at Northampton as well. And so he just sort of rolled this model into the, into the club. 
They didn't lose very often. As you say, didn't play to win, but uh, didn't lose very often. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan at all. Waterman, the, I know he, he played for us occasionally, but who's the other Who's the other centre-back we always seem to play alongside Crosby and Bound? <laughs> I don't know, you set, you set this up for somebody. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't remember Waterman featuring that often, but I do remember we always played three central defenders. And I do, Crosby, Bound and... Ah, uh, there was another, I'm going to have to, have to Google it. You you Google what? I'll Google. Hang on. Uh, you can edit this out, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it might be a good idea. Um, Robinson. I mean, he, they put him down as a number eleven, but he was definitely just a left back, wasn't he? And McNiven. I just remember being kind of stocky, not particularly adventurous, classic kind of League Two clogger. Hunt. <laughs> The only name who I really, the only player in that squad who I absolutely loved was Bobby Ford, who I just felt unbelievably sorry for playing in that team. And when you watch the highlights coming up, he spends almost the entire game watching the ball sailing over his head. Just not the player you'd put in a in, in an Atkins team. What well, What's weird about both Bobby Ford signing and also Steve Basham is that I didn't realise they were both signed by Atkins at the beginning of that season. He had a massive clear out, didn't he, that, that summer? Um, and I guess, yeah, the first opportunity to turn it into his team. I think the other player worth, worthy of mentioning, though, Dan, is, is Dave Savage. I think he was a decent player. You're smiling. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never fell in love with him. I think because he was so closely associated with Atkins, um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I just associate him with kind of a slightly kind of dour player. He got goals occasionally, didn't he? I mean, he was like six or seven goals a season for midfield kind of guy. Yeah, I remember going to a match away to Kidderminster, whether it was this season or afterwards, I'm not sure. And I remember, I just really remember him as standing out as such a talent. And bizarrely, and I'm sure this must have been an Atkins tactic, he was basically playing as a second striker-ish, but then he was dropping back as well. Um, so the formation was really fluid, mm. is my memory of this. And Dave Savage was kind of the key to that fluidity. Maybe I dreamt it, but that's my <laughs> memory of that game. <laughs> During that time, what I remember of that time is we had players coming in on two-year contracts. And the first year, they get absolutely hammered by the fans. And the second year, because everybody else had dropped, they kind of rose to the top. And Savage was one of those. His first season, he got absolutely hammered. Second season, he was a bit of a cult hero. He had the most tortured uh, terrace song. Do you remember to the to the theme of Steptoe and Son? Dave Savage. <laughs> I mean, it's just, just terrible. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Walking in a Basham Wonderland was another. <laughs> weird one i've got a feeling this uh this lad number 17 playing up front might have an influential game today jefferson louis um what do we know of him loyalty um, <laughs> yes <laughs> i did a bit one of research one club man that guy he's gonna stick <laughs> with us forever you wouldn't be surprised i did a bit of research on uh, our jefferson well, he's now on. he's now 42 and he's still playing 
at a decent level. He's with Beaconsfield Town in the Southern Premier, so the kind of same level as Banbury United, Nuneaton Borough, that kind of level. According to Wikipedia, he's played for 44 different clubs, <laughs> which is staggering. I think only about three are, are clubs that he went back to. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, as we watch the game, we'll increasingly see the impact he makes and the um, the impression he makes on the, the commentators. But yeah, I mean, the, the chequered history, the year before he spent six months in prison for driving offences, driving whilst disqualified when he when he's playing for Tame United. But yeah, we picked him up um, on trial initially, wasn't it? Um, earlier that year. And then, yeah, then he was rewarded with a contract. Didn't he score? We, we beat Charlton this season, didn't we, in the other cup? And didn't he score the winning penalty in yeah. one of the greatest penalty shootouts of all time? I think it, yeah, it went really, right, really deep, didn't it? Um, yeah. And I remember he came on in that game and did really, really, really well. Um, should we start the match? What do you think? So this is live, but this was a Sunday lunchtime, live on BBC One, December, so cold afternoon. Um, lots of people watching at home, I guess. Yeah, it was a miserable day that I remember. Yeah. But the place the place was jumping. The now, attendance is 11,645. <laughs> ish and I don't think there's been many bigger crowds than that and Swindon have about two thirds of the North Stand which I guess is an FA Cup stipulation in terms of numbers and percentages but yes uh, you're absolutely right it was incredible atmosphere particularly as you say it was a Sunday lunch I think there was a sense that we were yeah, obviously, when we went to the Kassam, when we first moved to the Kassam, there was a sense that this was us, this was the resurrection from the disasters of uh, the last years at the Manor. Obviously, that didn't then work out particularly well under Wright. And then Atkins came in and steadied the ship. And I think this felt like this is what it was supposed to be like. This is what moving to a new ground is supposed to be like. You know, the place is full, it's jumping, um, the atmosphere is great. And I do actually remember thinking at, at the time that this was this was a reward to Firoz Kassam for all his hard work, that finally he was getting the rewards of, of all the efforts of building the stadium. I, I think I might have been cold. I'm sure it was this game. We Certainly at the Charleston game, I remember the fans singing, we've got a team to be proud of, which was, of course, the, Firoz's boast. You know, I will give you a team to be proud of, he said. And eventually... I mean, even though this was a Dow team, we were kind of grinding out results. Mm. And, you know, it, it did, after such a long time of, you know, really, really crap results, this was, you know, there was light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't love Atkins, as, as you can probably tell. I didn't love the, the football his teams played, but I think we were just about ready to settle for anything that brought a bit of success. We were in the playoff places or the promotion places up until, I mean, the last few weeks really was the slump. Yeah. We ended up finishing eighth. So, yeah, we, we were there or thereabouts for most of that season. I do remember, I, I was at this game, I do remember worrying all the time about those balloons on the pitch. For those listening, <laughs> there were a load of balloons in the goal mouth, and I was just convinced that the ball was going to hit one of them and go into the goal. Well, had that, you know, the famous goal against Liverpool where exactly that had happened? Yeah. Was it a beach ball or something? I was 
I mean, that was kind of around this time. But I do remember just worrying all the time that, oh, my God, what if the ball hits one of the balloons and goes in? <laughs> that was uh, Sunderland, was it, that goal? Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of balloons. It's definitely quantity over quality. These days, you get quality instead. So somebody um, floats two, two balloons from the South Stand low, but they're both about as big as hot air balloons. So, um, yeah, the, the, it's definitely shifted towards quality over numbers. It's Andy Woodman taking that goal kick. I bought, I bought this up to, to show if people have got... This is Andy Woodman's uh, joint autobiography with a certain current England manager, which is the most boring drivel you've ever read in your life. <laughs> it's the worst, the worst football. I'm pleased to say I have got a, a signed, signed copy there. Yeah, it's dreadful. They were best mates, and they basically, you know, grew up um, together playing for Crystal Palace. And uh, yeah, so I guess they decided neither of them were quite famous enough to to write an autobiography in their own right, so I wrote that one, wrote that joint one. But it is absolutely rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in that, um, Andy Woodman, uh, they compared the two salaries they're both on, and Woodman was at uh, Oxford at the time. Uh, Southgate was earning as much in a week as Woodman was earning in a year, and what the, the figure I remember was 35 grand was, was how much uh, Woodman was earning a year which obviously this is some time ago now and so that that would have been a good salary but it's not an astronomical salary because that was one of the things that was going on in the background here is um a lot of cost cutting and in fact ian atkins's linkedin profile his his successes his his successes under oxford are uh transformed a uh, uh sorry created a winning uh, team ethos and saved the club a million pounds which was uh, you know playing to the romance of being a football fan <laughs> did you find out who that other defender was for us uh paul mccarthy i think you might, paul, might be yes that. exactly yeah. who must have been cup tied i guess was he did he come in on loan uh I, was he from wickham he was wasn't he yeah mccarthy yeah I guess he might have been. I think David Oldfield would have played as well, but he was injured, wasn't he? As was um, Andy Scott. So I'm not. I mean, yeah, with, with either of those two fit, I, I guess Louis wouldn't have started. Louis has an absolutely brilliant game here. Um, mm. He's if you just kind of watch him running around, he wins everything. He chases everything really gamely. He holds the ball up fantastically. Um, he does have a really, really top game. I remember the first time he appeared. It, it was on the subs bench, and he was it was warming up towards the end of the game. I think he might have got on right at the end, but the fans took to him straight away. He was a he was like a cult hero from the moment he he joined us. I think we were just desperate for a hero, mm. essentially. <laughs> yeah, we were holding out for a hero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I mean, it kind of reminds me of. Not in terms of class, but talking about Windas last time and that kind of street footballer, rags to riches, whatever you want to call it, you know. But yeah, that kind of that kind of great story behind behind them, uh, you know, before they reached the the Kassam Stadium. So Mike Ford was our assistant. Wasn't he? Was that Ford there? 
Yeah. His, um, his rave curtain's been hidden underneath the beanie. <laughs> Dave Savage now works in uh, B&Q in Northampton. Really? <laughs> Apparently so. Well, according to LinkedIn, I mean, he may have left there years ago, but... Uh... <laughs> Is that where you do all your research these days? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's, That's amazing. LinkedIn. And then I get one of those emails saying, you know, people have looked at your profile and it's all ex-Oxford players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to make this the Ian Atkins show, but he would very much want this to be the Ian Atkins show, I'm sure. He's had quite the career in recent years. Is that on his LinkedIn profile? He's um, He's been a European scout for several clubs in recent years. I think Only Everton... signing centre-backs, no doubt. Well, he was... Um, when he was at Sunderland as a European scout, he discovered Ivan Rakitic and recommended that Sunderland buy him for a very small amount of money from Schalke in Germany. And they declined. And of course, he's now you know, international superstar. He, um, is that an actual true story? Is that an Ian Atkins story, though? <laughs> no, this is from, uh, from a piece on like the Birmingham Mail or something. Because he's, he's European scouts at Wolves now. Before that, he was at Villa. Before that, Sunderland. But before that, was um, he was Everton. And basically brought in John Stones and Romelu Lukaku. Which may or may not be true, but yeah. He bloody well do that for us, did he? Just signed bloody <laughs> well, exactly. and McCarthy and Waterman and all sorts of other donkeys. So he may have saved us a million quid, but yeah, he made a lot. he's made some clubs a lot of money. So. Was all football like this back then? I've watched this recently. I was, I was editing down the match into this is a highlights package you're watching at the moment, which uh, isn't exactly the best word I'd use to describe it. Oh, let's just see what Louis up to. Oh, um, the, the first half's okay. The second half, uh, no spoilers, anyone. The second half is terrible, um, apart from a couple of moments. But I've, I've, I remember this game being awful, but I, when I edited the highlights package, it was slightly less awful than I remember. It's a bit of a game of two halves, isn't it? We really sat back in the first half. Um, but the second half, we kind of went at them a bit more. I just can't imagine nowadays football being played like this, where like the ball is is the enemy. <laughs> You're trying to get rid of it constantly. I mean, I guess it's, you know, we are, you know, a whole division below where we are now. Football has definitely evolved a bit as well, you know, obviously, you know, the ball is now your friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is, I think it's also just the Ian Atkins way, right? You know, it was all about make no mistakes, you know, get it in the corner, um, don't dwell on it, don't lose it, no silly passes, don't take any risks, just hump it clear if you have to. Well, he was from that, I guess he was still from that English school of coaching because there was an FA coach like the technical director of the FA who wrote a coaching manual, which basically said, launch it. Uh, because because most most goals come from inside the penalty box, so get it in the penalty box. And that was where Graham Taylor and Dave Bassett came from, and they got some success out of it. And I guess Atkins was part of the latter stages of that philosophy. You know, that's how English football was played. A lot of football was played like that. Yeah, it was, yeah. We're kind of still in those... It's dinosaur ages, aren't we? Um, and I guess, you know, I don't think any of them are left now, are they? Pardew, Allardyce, these, they, they've pretty much gone now. And yeah, you, you, I mean, you'd 
you struggle to find a team now in any division who don't, who don't pass out from the back. That's never offside. No. No way, no, that left back's keeping him on. Not that I was guessing it anyway, but... Well, where did you stand on Steve Basham? I can't remember a single goal he scored. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I like... Go on. I, I can remember one, and I, and I kind of... If, if we score a goal like it now, I do tell you, OB, that this is Basham-esque, because he... He was very good at turning and shooting from about 20, 25 yards, I remember. And yeah, so kind of throwing from the edge of the North Stand side um, to him and then, yeah, to turn the defender and then left foot into the kind of bottom right-hand corner to the keeper's right. That was my memory of, but I mean, maybe he did that once and I've just remembered that. <laughs> um, but he scored 50-odd goals for us, didn't he? I remember that milestone coming up and thinking, when? When did he score those goals? He was around for a while, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, I always forget that he was part of the team that got relegated from the Football League and part of the team that played a bit in the conference for us as well. Did he play the conference or am I making Yeah, he was, he was in the squad for that first season in the conference, I think. Right. I don't know that he played a great deal. I remember him being very injury-prone, fairly ineffective. And, I mean, I always thought... I always looked at him and thought, well, actually, he'll be better in a non-Ian Atkins team. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, he's obviously relatively skillful. You know, obviously much prefers the ball at his feet than being kind of hefted up at his you know, head. Um, I, think I, I never loved him. I always thought he, he did. The fans liked him more than they should have done. More than he deserved. <laughs> I think he was a bit like Bobby Ford in this team, is that it was completely incongruous. He, sh he shouldn't be, like you say, he shouldn't have been in the team, really. And I, you just wonder whether he spent his entire time just kind of watching the ball launching over the top of him, going, why am I here? Where did he come from? Because he came with a bit of a reputation, didn't he? He was at Preston, wasn't he? Yeah. And he'd broken his leg or he'd had a really bad injury, and that's kind of how we picked him up. He started at South Africa, didn't he? Yeah. And had a real, re really good reputation, but he, but he got these bad injuries, and and I think it, we just sort of picked him up because he was injured at the time, and nobody else wanted him. He's obviously a really nice guy as well. Whenever you hear him interviewed, uh, he just comes across as a really nice fella. So I think that obviously counts in his favour. Um, yeah. But I've just as a footballer, never that sold on him. We had a shot of a future player, didn't we? Just um, a couple of minutes ago. Eric Saban. Yeah. But three years later, he came to us. Scored in the uh, scored the opening goal against Leighton Orient in the relegation game. Also scored the, the best goal, one of the best goals I've ever seen away at Torquay. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It, it does <laughs> exist on the internet, but they only show like the last like 10, 15 yards of this incredible run that he goes on. He picks the ball up in, in our own half and sets off like Thierry Henry and then takes on the whole defence, beats them all, and then slides it into the corner. It is a sensational goal. If you ever, if it exists somewhere on the internet, I'd love to see it. But the the last 10, 15 yards of his run do exist on the internet. But it is a wonderful goal. He was, he was Henri-like. He was quite graceful, wasn't he? But his finishing was pretty terrible, as I remember. I, I do remember towards the end of that relegation season, there was one time he broke through and everybody stayed sat on their seats because they knew that he wasn't going to score. 
it was it kind of got to that stage. It was it was one on one with the keeper, and everybody just sat there and just waited for him to kind of pass it into the keeper's hands, which he did. I went to the loo. I think it did prompt me to look, look at into players who have played for both, and I know there's some from like the olden days. But it's quite an exclusive club, really. In more recent years, there's one Herbalife um, sales rep that we know of. But the one the one I'd kind of forgotten about was Sam Ricketts. Because again, that brings us back to Atkins. At the end of the season, he released Ricketts saying he wasn't good enough. Yeah. And he went on to play for three premiership clubs and had 52 caps for Wales. So I guess he's probably quite grateful to Ian Atkins for letting him go. It saved his yeah, career. Yeah, he became a great player. Absolute great player. So yeah, maybe if he'd stayed, he wouldn't have blossomed under under Atkins being the left back in the back five. So we would have still had Hackett, we'd have still had Dean Whitehead at this time. Yeah, they're both on the bench. Well, Dean Whitehead, definitely. yeah, they're both on the bench, yeah. Atkins is much maligned. I do think that he helped Whitehead's career by giving him a bit of steel. We had a lot of Oxford players go back to the 90s who kind of, like Beecham and Allen and people like that, who, who got you know, transfers to, to, to bigger clubs and then sort of didn't quite make it happen. And Whitehead was the opposite of that. You know, he was, he was homegrown, but he clearly he knew how to, to carve out a decent career at a good level. I do think Atkins probably uh, helped with that. Yeah, he gave Dino a lot of responsibility as well, didn't he? I mean, I remember, you know, he didn't just come into the team and he was already taking most free kicks, corners. He was, yeah, he was given a lot of responsibility at a young age, which I guess was part of the plan. There's not, there's not too many other notable players in the Swindon team. The only one who gets, you know, a lot of coverage from the commentators, unsurprisingly, is uh, Danny Invincible, <laughs> who is uh, anything but. He, um, Yes, he was an Australian. Kind of, yeah, his name kind of reminds me, remind, I don't know where he is now, but Max Power, you think he Yeah. That's, that can't be a real name. Danny Invincible left Swindon at the end of this season on a Bosman, as it was then. According to the internet, he was linked with Wigan, Crystal Palace, an unnamed Premier League side, PSV Eindhoven, Benfica and Sporting Lisbon. Where do you think he ended up going the next season? Morecambe. He, he was snapped up by the um, the mighty Kilman. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, very impressive. Johnny Jackson was a good player. He was um, on loan from Ooh, Tottenham. That's a hell of a shot. Oh, look at that one. <laughs> that is it. That's invincible, right? That is. That is the worst shot I've ever seen. For those listening to the podcast, from the edge of the six-yard box, he's shot so wide it's gone for a throw-in, probably behind where he's... First I don't know if you picked up the commentary there, but Brookings saying that Invincible's on the six-yard line. We had eight players behind the ball. <laughs> That's in um, Ian Atkins' LinkedIn profile, I believe. <laughs> Most proud achievement. There we go, half-time. Oh. How are you feeling at this point? Oh, exhilarated. Oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Barry Davis is right. We we were, we were, we really sat back in that first half, which again I don't know whether it's it was tactical. And Ian Atkins kind of rope a dope move. I think it's just the kind of football he played, right? You know, we you know he did always line up with five at the back. Um, 
you know, Hunt, what, what was Hunt's first name? Was it James? No. David? Yes. James. James, yeah. yeah. Um, he kind of always just sat back, didn't he? Um, I know you, you love Dave Savage, but I didn't see much of him breaking forward there, Rich. I wouldn't say, um, I wouldn't say love, but I think he was, he was more talented than the majority of that squad. I agree. He is one of those players who perhaps would have benefited like Basham in being in a, a more of a footballing side. The poor man's Matt Murphy. <laughs> who isn't, to be fair. Have you had him for dinner yet, OB? No, he's, he's not returning my calls. Damn it. I've got baked potatoes and everything. <laughs> is he on LinkedIn? Doesn't is he run like... a record label? No. I think he, I think really? he runs a record label, yeah. He's, I think he's he gone does. back to accountancy. There's no doubt about it, Matt Murphy. He, he was an accountant, wasn't he? No, he's a bank clerk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because they used to, they always used to refer to him as back, former bank clerk Matt Murphy, as though he was some sort of kind of <laughs> sophisticate, <laughs> you know, like he'd worked in, you know, high finance or something. Uh, anyway, second half. Let's go. Let's go for it. There we go. Straight into touch. Oh, lovely. I wonder what the nation was thinking watching this at home. Firstly, where's the four stand gone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, as I say, it's. Uh, it's 19 years down the line and we still we haven't had a, a, another Oxford Swindon game live uh, on TV. That may, may uh, say it all. But I do, that is the weirdest thing, don't you think? That Oxford Swindon, there's so much football on TV and yet Oxford Swindon is never featured. You'd think you could just jam it in somewhere. And it's usually a fantastic spectacle. Am I the only person who gets angry about this? <laughs> I just don't think that many people know about it as a rivalry. You know, I think if you ask most people in the street, you know, who is Oxford's local rival, they wouldn't say Swindon. I just don't think it's, you know, kind of things in the, the psyche. You'd probably say Reading, so they might have heard of Thames Valley Royals and so on. Geographically, it doesn't feel like Swindon should be a local rival so much as but, I mean, Reading. They also or have, or... Sorry, Dan. They also have multiple rivals, don't they? Because I think they see themselves as rivals to at least Bristol Rovers, if not Bristol City as well. And then bizarrely, this came up on um, the quiz that Liam did at the phone in after the Wickham game, I think. No, sorry, of course, no, it was after the Gillingham game. Gillingham consider Swindon to be their rivals. That dates back to a playoff wow. final, doesn't it, I think? Yeah, well, so maybe they just spread a bit thinly. I think just everyone <laughs> hates them, right? <laughs> That's another take on it, certainly. But I mean, when you see, um, they talk about it, you know, with, with, with Lawrence in the studio, Dion Dublin, Atkins and Andy King, they both, they all say they didn't realise the frosty of this rivalry until they joined the club or till, until they were looking into this game. So yeah, even even your kind of media pundits and, and, and managers don't necessarily understand until they actually have to. But you'd think that, You'd look at the game, I mean, if you think more recently, think of the, um, was it 2015, I think we played them in the, like the, did we play them in the league or in the JPT, where, where they, they put the flags out all on the East Stand and it looks spectacular. Now, mm. That's a good shot. Offside. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. yeah, you can see clearly. Um, yeah, it, it makes good TV, doesn't it? Yeah. There are, is, is this is this is a spectacle? Is that is that isn't that what you you want out of football coverage? Maybe when they Google Oxford Swindon, this is what comes up. This particular game, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, exactly. Yeah. God, all the games are like this one. 
I did I did watch the whole thing um with the commentary on and Barry Davis was a brilliant commentator, there's no doubt. And I don't know if there's anyone at the moment who's comparable, but he was I thought he was absolutely superb. I always much preferred him to John Motson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is always really annoying, I I thought, but Barry Davis was top quality. But again, you know, the, the, he's he was an A-list commentator, wasn't he? Is there Motson and, and Davis were the two big, big BBC commentators. There must have been others that could have done this game. But they did the BBC did throw throw the kitchen sink at this one. Yeah. And as you say, maybe they weren't rewarded, and that was why uh, it's it's never been kind of considered a uh, worthy of tele- televising. Yeah, Trevor Brookin is the co-commentator, and in the studio it's Mark Lawrenson and Dion Dublin. Homes under the hammers, Dion Dublin. <laughs> yeah. Does Lawrenson use his six weeks as Oxford manager to give a full analysis of the club? He does. He does. If we see it, um, yeah, they, they they do talk about it, and they show the um, the team photo for that season with him sat there, fully full moustache and mullet. Yeah, this this compared to the last two watch-alongs, this is fairly moustache-free. This game. Um, yeah, <laughs> the old Ricks Ricks well. Well. we haven't even mentioned Graham Ricks yet. So. Yeah, how are we going to weed the, it in? Um, <laughs> the only moustache I think is Dave Savage, actually, but I'm not sure if that was with a goatee or not. When he comes around for dinner at OB's, we can ask him. Him and Murphy, wow. They there go. go. Yeah, that's a tash. Is, isn't it? It's on the front page of a tabloid newspaper, but apart from that, yeah. This game needs a goal, right? I don't know where it's going to come from, though. It's going to have to be a mistake, I think, that leads to a goal here. There is no shape in this game at all, is there? I mean, it's, it's just chaotic. The chaotic in the kind of negative way. I always assume chaotic games have been kind of great fun, wildly open. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> OB, you, the lighting's given you a slightly Nicky Banger-esque tan there. That's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I can't win. <laughs> it's the um, it's the Animalates, uh orange shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is um, this is a uh, this is a Julian Allsop. Yeah, that era. is. Yeah, sure. yeah. Kind of banana coloured. You could say that. Allegedly. Was it Allsop in this squad, or did he come later? I think he was next season. I think he was right. part of the, again, the almost all-conquering squad of next season. The... Atkins 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here we go. What's this? Oh, dear. <laughs> Not so invincible. Kilmarnock's hmm? <laughs> favourite son didn't do very well there, did he? <laughs> oh my god, that's terrible. You're talking about the um, the chaotic nature of this game. I, mean, I, I did think that when they uh, when they did the team lineups at the start, they were quite generously 
put the place into formation. <laughs> so I'm going to apologise for the quality. Oh, actually, I'm going to apologise for the quality of that free kick. Um, <laughs> I'm going to apologise for the quality of the sound on the match recording. Uh, this has come from it's the recording itself on YouTube. What really fascinated me about this was that Swindon Town put this match on YouTube. This is from Swindon Town. And like, you know, I know they don't have much success against us, but surely picking up a, <laughs> a one nil defeat against their local rivals isn't going to get that many views for them. There is a, if it's the same guy or same person, there is a kind of obsessive Swindon fan who puts absolutely everything that he can find on online, win, lose, draw, whatever. I'm fairly certain that if we lost this game 1-0, one of our fans <laughs> would not have put this on YouTube. Spoiler I think that's true. If. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to... Uh, if you're watching this expecting us to lose 1-0, we don't. <laughs> Oh, this looks dangerous coming up here. It does. This throne's in uh, McNiven territory, as it was known. He was a long throw specialist, wasn't he? Look at, yeah. <laughs> and Matt Bound as well took a long throw, didn't he? Come on, Scott. Go on, Jeff. Oh, because... oh hello. Oh, hello. Oh. <laughs> what about that? Yes, we do. On the commentary, they debate forever about whether Basham had a touch or not. I think, to be fair to Basham, he doesn't really claim it, does he? Um, I mean, if I'd been Basham there, I definitely would have claimed that as mine. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be sliding on your knees, wouldn't you, in front of oh, the... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah oh, it brushed my hair. Like... <laughs> It's like that one Harry Kane claimed in recent years, which he clearly didn't touch, but he staked his daughter's life on it. There seems to be a lot, you know, a lot riding on whether or not he'd skimmed his, in his, um, his quiff on that. The BBC gave it to Louis, and uh, there you go, Trev. Did he say fourth goal in six? Of the season, I think he said. Oh, okay. I was going to say that's. Yeah, he didn't start start many games, did he? Just going to look at the program. So, who else would we have had playing up front that season? Andy Scott and David Oldfield. In the previous three Oldfield. games, it was Oldfield and Basham starting up front. Um, Louis had a little run. He had a little run in October, where he started four on the trot. Five, six on the chop, beg your pardon. He looked like he'd lost his place, so I know David Oldfield and Scott were both injured for this game. Would we have still had Manny Armanimu at that time? I remember him playing a bit this season. Yeah, he is on he is on the squad list on the back of the um the programme, but he'd have been cup tied for West Ham with him. No, we'd we'd signed him way before. Oh we'd sign oh sorry, sorry. Yeah. Edit that out then please, Dan. No. That 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 never stopped him. But that never stopped him before. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that was going to be my point. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where he is. He's not. He's not even on the bench for this game. In fact, he wasn't Atkins kind of player, was he? Being uh... he started one game in October, 
did we win one nil at York this season, Rich? Um, yeah, that game. Um, yes, we did. Did Gavin Gordon score? Gavin Gordon did score. He came <laughs> off the bench. He came off the bench to score. That's right. That's a good day out. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very dark. <laughs> Funny, I got the train home with Froz Kassam that day, back to London. Very strangely. Wow. I met him at York Station. I didn't know him, but he was waiting for the London train, and uh, I sat with him and had a chat. You did actually talk to him. You didn't just yeah, stare, did, yeah. stare at him slightly weirdly for three we, hours. <laughs> we had a, a stunted conversation. He obviously didn't want to talk to me particularly. But, uh, <laughs> minor so, chat. So do you like football? No, not really. More into land. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you support? Um, I'm going to say <laughs> Arsenal. Are they a football team? <laughs> Every time I see Bobby Ford, I feel slightly sad. Because he hates, he hated football, didn't he? Or he learned. He, oh, he, by the time he finished his experience, experience, it was oh. genuinely. <laughs> he genuinely that retired from football because of Atkins. He what? Sorry. He genuinely retired from football because of uh, his experience second time round at the club. Wow. Really? Yeah, I think he he went to Bath City for a very short period and then just totally fell out of love with the game. So. But yeah, he, he cited this period of his life. Hadn't he played under Warnock as well at Sheffield United, which must have been a similarly kind of dispiriting <laughs> exercise. Almost certainly, yeah. Whereas he really yeah, he... should have gone to play in Portugal somewhere. He, he was like a Portuguese player. You know, kind of caressed the ball around. Yeah. Um, you know, would keep hold of it for hours and hours, never miss a pass. The problem player. is when you link to Portuguese clubs, you normally end up in Kilmarnock. <laughs> the downside. I, I do have a sneaking. I know we've talked about this before. The sneaking admiration for football players who don't really like football. David Batty, you know, just no interest in football. Did you hear the interview with Paul Moody in lockdown uh, that the club did? They did one of their podcasts with him, and he he clearly doesn't enjoy football particularly, which just baffles me. Here's a guy who could almost at will whack the ball into the net from anywhere which must be such a joyful thing and he just you know didn't love football at all i, I reckon it must be the politics it must be what goes on behind the scenes because moody always looked like he enjoyed scoring yeah honestly the interviews with him he was quite kind of famous for it at the club you know just not interested yeah well simon eastwood's a bit like that now isn't he He's, he's not. Tower. He's, he's a super he, he, tower man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he enjoys anything in life very much, Simon Eastwood. If you ever hear him on commentary, when they occasionally get him as a guest on Radio Oxford, he's particularly dour. You could have him around for dinner with uh, Matt Murphy and. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be quite a night. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking glasses of water. <laughs> Bobby Ford's a plumber now, isn't he? Is that a fact? There was a, yes. a, been a big debate recently in one of the other podcasts about what he's doing now. No, no one seemed to know or was able to yeah. work with him. He's a plumber. I, I can't remember where I found it out, but I did hunt him down and he is a plumber in, in the Bristol area. Right. I mean, it's not... <laughs> sounds like a euphemism. 
That's another penalty. Look at that handball. Oh. That is blatant. And that, yeah, all day long. And that clip on Bastion was. Uh, Obi, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned the, the kits yet. There's, it's that era, isn't it, of like every player's got a shirt that's about four sizes too big. <laughs> and actually, that's my abiding memory of Bastion. Every photograph of Bastion, he looks like he's sort of, you know, in a wind tunnel or something with this massive. Yeah. Massive kit flapping around. So this is the first time I think I've ever worn this shirt. I basically got in a panic about this season's shirt because I didn't have one. And by the time I got around to getting one, they totally and utterly sold out of all but small sizes. So this is a small, which I genuinely didn't think I was going to fit into today. But um, because obviously they made the shirt so massive in those days, I have managed to just about squeeze into a small. <laughs> And it's shiny as anything, that kit. Oh, it's so wow. shiny. Made by TFG, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, mine's, mine's a TFG it's... one, but it's um, a couple of I seasons think it, after. I think it stands for The Football Group, which is an imaginative title. So we're in injury time now. 90 seconds, I think he's got. To hold out. I looked up Bampton because I was desperately trying to find an interesting Swindon player to talk about. Um... It, that, was his, that was his debut. He played three times for them. And if I remember rightly, he's he, he's still playing for Swindon Supermarine. Which is, I hate to say, one of my favourite named football clubs in the entire world. I've always been fascinated by Swindon Supermarine. I've got no idea what a Supermarine is. That's the kind of thing you should be looking up, Rich. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Next week. And come back and tell us what is a Swindon <laughs> Supermarine. So we are seconds away from victory. And of course, this is one in a row, right? This is the start yeah. seven. And it seems was an it? awfully long time ago. I don't remember much about being at this game, to be honest, other than it was cold. I've been kind of a bit nervous towards the end, but I don't remember anything about it at all. I think rivalries have changed. I mean, there was always a rivalry between Oxford and Swindon, but it's not like it, it's not kind of performative like it is nowadays. We've got so to I talk don't about this substitution, though. Sorry. <laughs> Abu Sal. So he came with a good reputation, right? As a central defender. And I think he played two or three times for us. Am I stealing your stat here, Rich? I'm doing this from memory. But no, I mean, he came on... on for literally five seconds and didn't touch the ball, did he? It's just. just... I that think he played two or three times for us. He literally yeah. would come on at the end of a match, get his appearance fee, and uh, <laughs> and leave. Yeah, my little Abdul Sal um, fact though is that uh, he did end up playing for one season at FC Saint Pauli, who are you know the, the the big hipster club in Germany. Um, they play in Hamburg. They play in Brown. You know, strong socialist tradition, etc., etc. They're currently top of the Zweite Bundesliga, actually, so they might be um, in the big time. And then I was trying to think of other Oxford United players who've played for any German clubs, and the only the only one I could think of was um, was Kenny, who, after yeah. being on loan with us, was on loan with Schalke. If you know any other players who played in Germany and played for Oxford, do let us know. Drop we'll Oxford do a whole around. episode on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
try and talk about John Joe Kenny for an hour if you like, but it might be a bit of a push. <laughs> there we go. One nil win. Yeah. One in a row. Superb. Of course, the game wasn't particularly famous for anything other than what happened after the game. <laughs> um, there's Jefferson going in, but that's not the last time we see him, is it? Of course. No, we see no. a lot more of him. <laughs> um, so the draw was made shortly after the match. Uh, here we go. Number one. Arsenal. Who were champions at the time. We'll play number 59. Oxford United. Now, a bit of a grin on the manager's face. And here we go. In the dressing room when it came out. <laughs> and you know the greatest thing about that shot is that that wasn't shown live when the draw was made. That was recorded. And then after the draw had finished, they went back and showed that on a Sunday lunchtime. So they had time to record it, think about it, and decided that, yes, this is what the viewers need. And play. <laughs> and it, so, so, yeah, a, a great decision, obviously. I mean, it's, yeah, legendary. But um, I don't... Would it get shown today? Uh, possibly. Um, so here's my story about this, the, the story I promised you at the start. I was working at BBC Sports at the time, and... Uh, with a couple of colleagues, actually, who are also Oxford fans. And we went back to Television Centre that night because that night was Sports Personality of the Year. Uh, and in those days, BBC Sports staff got invited along to it. It's like our big kind of Christmas party, effectively. Um, <laughs> I was getting changed in the gym. There was a gym in TV Centre. Uh, I was getting changed into my glad rags. And two people who are very high up in BBC Sport were also getting changed there at the time and they were having a discussion about kind of general sport matters and one of them said oh did you see the game this afternoon and my ears kind of pricked up um and the, the other one said yeah wasn't it bloody terrible and they started chuckling and then one of them said so um why did we choose that game of all the bloody games we could have chosen and the other one said, uh, because Oxford's quite close to TV Centre, so we all had to get back in time for, for the big party tonight. So <laughs> that is why that game was chosen. It wasn't my email at all. It was the proximity of Oxford to Television Centre and the fact that all the staff could get back in time for Sports Personality of the Year. And that is a 100% true story. Outrageous. Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah, later on in the show, they, they they cut to Gary Lineker in the uh, wherever it was being filmed that year, don't they? To, to sort of to to tease it for later on. Um, so there we go, and we drew Arsenal in the next round. Uh, did you go to that one? I did, because I, I have a I have a soft spot for uh, for Arsenal anyway. So going back to Highbury was fantastic. Uh, we can't have been they. I think they were a couple of years from leaving Highbury but it was definitely on the cards by this point so I knew it was one of the last chances we'd get of going I, I was sat on the front row which was really annoyed me but I did get to um uh, abuse uh who was the um who was the striker that they got who went to Everton Jeffers Jeffers, oh. Jeffers yeah they bought him from Everton didn't they for huge money. that's right yeah and was useless. Yeah, 
I, I was in, and we had the clock end, or at least half the clock end, and I was, I was in there, I remember. Yeah, I think, as I mentioned in another episode, it was all about Dennis Bergkamp, really. So that game for me was my, it was my local, right? Because I lived just up the road from Arsenal, and my local pub became an Oxford pub for that day. Uh, and it was one of my happiest moments ever. I walked into my local and it was absolutely rammed full of Oxford fans because I put it on one of the forums that this is the, the must-go-to pub. Uh, <laughs> and I walked in and my local was 100% full of Oxford fans. And it was one of the proudest moments of my life. Um, <laughs> but it's a terrible performance. We, I mean, we set out to lose 2-0, didn't we, that game? It's classic Ian Atkins. He, he didn't, want, didn't want a heavy defeat. So... Uh, we did score in the first second, didn't we? Which was disallowed. Yeah, uh, Basham uh, scored, and uh, but he was definitely onside. I I remember uh, queuing for the tube after the game, and another Oxford fan said something along the lines of, um, "They didn't get any injuries. We didn't embarrass ourselves. It's not been too bad." <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins mindset had set. <laughs> so, did you hear that on the tube, or was that? Again, part of Ian Atkins' LinkedIn profile. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. It might have been Atkins himself, actually. Anyway, so what we're we doing next then? Are we are we having a quiz or are we? Oh, do you want to do a quiz? Right. No, it's well, we out like last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can make it work. Should we settle on a name for this? Yeah, never mind the <laughs> never mind the all sops. I like never mind the all sops. Let's go with that. Okay, so the so the aim of the game is to uh, I will come up with a random number, and the aim of the game is to pick a player who has uh, had the closest number of appearances, goals, and substitutions to that number. Uh, it'd be a different number for appearances, for goals and subs. So let's start with appearances, and the number is eight. A player who has played eight games. Anybody? So eight, okay. sorry, eight games in the starting eleven. Yeah, eight, eight game, eight started, eight games. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, McGuane, McGuane, Okay. Should we get the names first? I'm thinking we'll... about um, the play you mentioned earlier, Dan Gavin Gordon. He can't have played many more than that. Did he? That's a good shout. And I'm going to say Steve Perryman. So uh, Marcus McGuane. 18 appearances, 18 starts. Mm, uh, wow. Gavin Gordon, three starts. Steve Perriman, 17 starts. Oh. So I think that's rich. Yeah. Do you want to play one more? Do you want to play one more game? Yeah, go one on. more round. Okay. Yeah. Goals. 30 goals. <laughs> Yemi Odubadi. Ooh, I'm going to say Mick Vinter. <laughs> nice. Trevor Hebbard. Ooh. Oh, I do like this game. I just wish it didn't quite take so long. You can't find it. So the, the number was 30. Mick Vinter, 29 goals. Oh, wow. Great. Yemi Odebadi. 31 goals. No. Wow. 
I know. Trevor Hebbard, 43 goals. Oh, Scored a lot. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I think, I think we, we've all got a win out of that. Excellent. I, I do like we're both equal. We do one more round just for fun. Well, I, I, yeah. I got the win. You, you two got a draw, but, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> OK, do you want to do substitutes then? Um, right, so substitute appearances. 13 substitute appearances. Stuart Massey. Ooh! For the sake of my edit, just say someone, please. I don't know. <laughs> well, say someone who used to play for Swindon as well, then. Uh, Tommy Mooney. Mooney? I'm going to say Mark Jones. Another, uh, right. another one who played for both. So the number was 13. Stuart Massey, 26. Oh. Mark Jones, 38. Ooh. 25 out. Tommy Mooney, I'm astonished to say. Oh, hang on. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've just looked, I've just looked up Massey twice. Uh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say exactly the same. Tommy Mooney, no substitute appearances at all. Ooh. That means you're disqualified. Right. I don't, yeah, what does that mean? So, oh no, that's actually it does mean that uh, Dan and Rich, you are equal. Uh, yeah, Dan, Dan was 13 out and uh, Rich was 13 out. <laughs> Surely, by actually having a number, I win, right? Because <laughs> 26 is actually a number, whereas zero isn't, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> zero isn't a number, <laughs> it's not, it's a nothing. Well, that was great fun. Yeah, we'll, we'll find a we'll find a quicker way of doing this. We also need to find a prize as well. Oh, it's not lots of nice prizes hanging up behind you, Les. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which one? Which one do you want? <laughs> um, I haven't got this season's actually. I normally wait till it's reduced in price. So uh, I'll have this season's, please. Okay. <laughs> right, I've got to go, gents. I've got dinner to cook. Lovely chatting to you. Shall we call it a day? as always? I think so. Right. Yeah. Sounds Cheers, good. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. All right.